And we're going to the first book of the Bible this morning. And we're going to be talking about something that we don't very talk, seldom, talk, seldom talk about in the, in, the, in the pulpit. But as we look at the beginning of, the, of life here on earth, we're, we're going to be talking about the first two people on planet earth. Where they lived, how they lived, and what happened to them in the most perfect place that they could live. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, we're going to share at this time. Now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Bow for prayer with me. Lord, we just thank you this morning for the reading of your word. Lord, we pause this morning to say thank you for another awesome year. The year of 2018 is fastly coming to a close. Lord, we thank you for health and strength. We thank you for an awesome church family. We thank you for the blessings of the Lord. We thank you for the peace of God that transcends our ways of understanding. And we just thank you this morning for this great audience that you brought together and for the audience that will find this message on the, on the webpage of the Elm Grove Community Church. And Lord, may the words that we speak this morning be words of encouragement and strength. And may they be life to those that have lost hope. And may they be encouragement to those that have been stressed with despair and disappointments. Lord, we just give praise, honor, and glory for the good things you've done and the great things you have in store. And all of God's family said, Amen. As we look at the scripture this morning, uh, there are several things that we draw from it. But some th things that I want to highlight today is the fact that uh, God had visited the garden day by day. And no doubt Adam and Eve had been very excited when God would show up. I don't know about you, but I, I love to know when God shows up. You can feel his presence. I may not see him, but I can sure recognize his presence. And some of the ways and some of the attributes of God's presence is the Bible says in his presence there's fullness of joy. That when the joy radiates from people and when the smile engulfs their face and when they see the good side of life and they lay aside the despair and disappointments of life and we come together and we lift our hands and begin to worship the Lord in his presence, 
His presence overcomes the fleshly desires. His flesh, his spirit overcomes the, the disappointments of our life. And we begin to focus on one thing. God is a good, good father. On days of disappointment and days of disobedience, I want us to look at what Adam and Eve did. Being the first two that ever inhabited planet Earth, being in the most precious place called the Garden of Eden, which would be in like manner would be heaven today. There was no more there was no heartache, no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. I mean, every it, it was a place where the lion lion laid down with the sheep. Think about it. And instead of enjoying what was put before them. Something happens. A crashing day comes to their home. The unexpected comes when the act of disobedience of what God had promised and encouraged them to do failed. And we see when Jesus, when God shows up that day, the first thing they said, we were afraid. Listen to me this morning. The Bible always has an antidote for every attack that the enemy offers. The Bible says, Perfect love cast out all of our fear. Instead, they knew. They disobeyed. They didn't know what to do with disobedience, so they tried to hide. For once, their eyes were opened, and they realized that there was a right and a wrong. They had been naked, but there was nothing wrong with being naked until they disobeyed God's plan. And then on that day, they began to do what the natural man tries to do. And many of us here can say amen to that. Many times we try to cover up the wrongs in our life by sowing on fig leaves. Pastors are no different than the people in the pew. We're all human. We face things. We face adversity. We, find, we, find, we face challenges just like you. We, the door of opportunity is open to us every day of our life. And many times, if we'll just be honest with ourselves, we've all been caught hiding behind fig leaves but we know God can look beyond fig leaves because it says man looks on the outward appearance but God looks on our heart as we look at the scripture this morning Jesus was a great gentleman when he says Adam where are you Adam and Eve and Nellie was always excited when they more or less heard the doorbell ring of the Garden of Eden when God would show up. After all, he was a creator. He was a giver of every good thing. He had made it possible for them to, to live. And they realized in him they lived and they were human beings just because of what God had been willing to give and create. For the one time in their, his life, the first time in Adam's life that he had ever entertained these words, are found in verse 10 when verse 9 says, the Lord God called Adam and says, where are you? This is the response of a man in the most perfect place, a man had, that had, had it all, and yet when the challenging day came, here's his response. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Let me ask you this morning, and don't anybody show their hand, but has there, there ever been anybody in this building this morning that's ever wanted to run and hide when you know you'd been wrong? Have you ever just wanted to be like an ostrich and stick your head in the sand 
and the rest of you was exposed. A few of us have been there. God's response was to the first man, who told you you were naked? And then he answers by asking another question. Have you eaten the tree that I commanded you not to eat? I'm going to talk to you for a few moments about something today that we all have, and it's our conscience. We live in a sin-conscious world, and we all have a conscience. I remember as a lad, my dad began his ministry in 1947 when he moved us to a place called Chester or Fletcher, Oklahoma. I began my first year in Fletcher, Oklahoma. Mr. Harrell was the principal of Fletcher Schools, and Mrs. Harrell was the first grade teacher. And I'll never forget the first day I entered that school. It was, it was different. We had moved to Fletcher, Oklahoma. We'd just been there a few months when, when school started, and I was, I was the outsider. There was business people in, that had businesses in Fletcher, Oklahoma, and their, their children were there. They'd grown up in that area. They were familiar. They had friends, but I was on the outside of the circle. I was a lone ranger. I'll never forget those days and how I began to try to process life and how I, I felt that I, I was just alone. And my conscience began to just tell me, you don't fit in. But through the process of almost five years, I began to learn people's name. I began to learn people. I learned uh, who, who the good guys were, and I knew the guys that I needed to stay away from. But I was conscious of what was going on. Adam and Eve was conscious of what they had done, were they not? Yes, they were. Anytime God says, don't do it, and you do it, you're conscious of what you've done. However, the draw comes when we want to hide from the ownership of our conscience. Adam was God conscious until he disobeyed God's plan for his life in the garden. Then he became sin conscious because he rebelled against God's word. And so many times it's that, it, those hours that, that causes us to stop and realize when, when something comes our way and, and the sin conscious grips our conscience and we know we've done wrong and it's not our lifestyle but we got caught in the trap that was set before us and then we start looking for our fig leaves that aren't there. And many times, let me just say this, I, I'm just so glad that we're all family today. That I'm just so glad that I can talk to my family and just feel right at home today. I'm not, my spirit's not quenched. I can, just, I can just open the envelope of my life with my family. Is that all right? Thank you for the three that says it's okay. Uh, I'm going to do it anyhow. Because of Adam's disobedience, God's plan for humanity changed. We are all born with a sin conscience. The Bible says until the age of accountability, we're all sin conscious at that moment. And, and can I say in growing up, I was raised in a church that was always sin conscious. And I heard every message that I came to church to hear. It was, a real, it was a, an evangelistic outreach, and we talked about sin. We talked about a place where there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And that's not a bad subject, is it? No, we all ran from hell. We didn't want to be a part of that. And, but through the years, I realized that even though it's a great subject, that's not all there is about living for the Lord. 
How about the times when we know we've been redeemed, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but we know we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And, and the scripture says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, washes us from all sin. We, we, never, we never spend a lot of time in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 about trusting the Lord with all your heart. Quit trying to figure it out, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. We never spent very much time on Numbers 20, verse, chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll perform it. We never spent a lot of time about walking the righteous path. We just spent a lot of time making everybody sin conscious, and sin would send you to hell. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's more than that to the journey. How about the times and you've got things right with the Lord and, and you make one side step and it's a wrong step and then the enemy begins to knock at your door and he says, some Christian you are. You're not a Christian at all. Christians don't do that. Maybe it's a time when you're, you've struggled, you worked very hard and one day you find yourself in the in the divorce courts and, and the one you took for better or for worse says, I'm through, I'm tired, I can't handle any more of it. And your best friend walks out of you. We never talked about the peace of God and the, the joy that we find in forgiving and allowing the Holy Spirit to wash away the hurts from our life so we can enjoy his presence and the healing touch that flows through every broken heart when we're broken. We know what we never taught of the very much about taking ownership of when we did wrong, taking ownership, but taking it to the Lord in prayer and realizing we're more than conquerors. Just because we slip once doesn't make us a failure. It's when we decide to roll and tumble and stay in that mug, mug pen and change our lifestyle. Oh, friend, this morning, it's an awesome it's an awesome trip, even though there are challenging moments. I repeat, Adam was God conscious until he disobeyed. He realized he was naked. He, he tried to do everything to cover up his mess before God entered the, 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 into his presence. But God always shows up. He's always there no matter whether you're doing good or not doing so good. So many times we get caught up in the fact that, well, if I can just make this look good to everybody else, I don't want every, anybody to have a bad opinion of me. I don't want anybody to think that I can ever tell a lie. Or I don't need, ever want to get caught in a mess where people would look down upon me. We were never taught. We were never taught. We were never taught. Listen, don't worry about worrying about where people are going to like you or not. Make sure that God loves you. He cares for you. Make sure that you're trying to please God and not man. I think about how Jesus came. The Bible says he walked about doing good, healing all that are pressed, for God was with him. I look at Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And then he's hanging between two thieves, blood gushing from his face, swords pierced in his side. 
He did everything that he could. He came to the Jews first. The Bible says he came to his own, which was the Jewish family. And his own family said, no, I reject you. And so he moved from the Jews to the Gentiles, and that's you and me. And the Bible says after he had known rejection, instead of giving up, instead of throwing in the towel, instead of saying, Father, my labor is in vain. Let me come back to heaven. No, he turned to another opportunity. And the Bible says, as many as did receive them, to them gave, it, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's the reason you and I are Christians today because we're followers of a Jewish person called the Lord Jesus Christ who came to seek and to save that which was lost. One, one song we used to sing, "'Twas lost, but now I'm bl- found. "'Twas blind, but now I see." Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. As we look at the scripture this morning, don't forget the words that God spoke to Adam. Who told you you were naked? The enemy has a great trick that he uses on Christian people. And he knows you're a Christian. He knows that You've came to the Lord Jesus Christ in Romans 10, 9. He knows that you've confessed your sins and you believe in your heart that God's raised from the dead. But you're exactly in the crosshairs of his bow this morning and he wants to take you out. So he sets traps for Christian people. Let me ask you this morning, would there be a trap that he set for you? And you're entertaining that trap. Beware. The enemy, the Bible says, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We all have a conscience. We're conscious when we obey God's word and we're conscious when we disobey God's word. Many Christians allow sin conscience to push them away from church, away from God's presence, and away from the plan that God has for their life. And I can say a great big amen for that. First John chapter... It tells us that if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and the truth isn't in him. But aren't you glad that one day we accepted the plan of God and it didn't make us perfect, but it gave us a, a, a knowledge of knowing that in this tabernacle lives the presence of the Holy Spirit. And along with the presence of the Holy Spirit, we all have a conscience. And there's nothing that can cleanse the conscience like the blood of Jesus. Remember the course we used to sing, Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. I look at some words that a man in the Bible who's responsible for most of the New Testament gave to us. Saul was his name until he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus. On the road to Damascus, God allowed something to happen that transformed this man's life. A light shone from heaven, and it startled those that were with Saul because Saul was going about arresting mothers and dads, believers in the Lord, taking them to prison and locking them up. He, was, he had even gone to, as, so far as to murder Christian people because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the road to Damascus that day, he had an encounter with the Lord, and God gave him a God gave him directions as to what to do. He went down to this house that God told him to go to. And for three days, he sat as a blind man. And God sent a prophet of God down to the house. He said, I want you to go down to the house. There's a man by the name of Saul. 
Something's going to happen when you obey. Can I, can I just pause there a minute and talk about obedience? Jared put a, together a great series of smashing the monster, the monster of comparison that we don't need in the church. You know, I, I feel so honored that God made me in his image. What better, what better deal could God give us than that? But the, 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 the monster that attacks the church is comparing what we drive, where we live, how we dress. Not this church, but many churches. Let me just say that, okay? I, 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 I'm glad that some of you can drive a Rolls Royce. Personally, I'm, t- I'm glad I can top that and drive a Ford pickup. Thanks to y'all. Thanks to y'all. Then we mashed an ungrateful heart. Listen to me this morning. You may feel cast out. You may be, you, maybe you feel like you had a bad deal. Maybe you feel like you're hanging by the end of the stick. But listen, the word says you may be cast down but not forsaken. Always bearing about the truth of God's word. How, how, about, how about the rest of the things that we went through? I'll never forget one morning that, uh, and we were going through this, this, this series, and, and I had, I had, I don't mind telling you, I had misrepresented something to some of my great friends, that, and some of them are here this morning. And I was going through the tussle. I had made things right. You know, I, I, there was, my conscience hit me when I, I refused to accept responsibility of something I'd said, and I could hardly wait until I called the meeting and said, look, forgive me. I was wrong. But that morning, part of this family was here, and they heard me, and Jared had given me the assignment of preaching on this, on this, this, this passage of Scripture. And, and, and as I looked across the congregation, I don't mind telling you, I was just hoping and praying that this family wouldn't be here that morning. You know, I, I was looking for some fig leaves, I guess. And it fell my lot to preach on credibility and the enemy says you know if I were you as mad as you've messed up I would get out of the way and let the church have a fresh breath of air and in my prayer time I had came to the place Lord if it this is this is so out of contrast this is not my way of life Lord I, I repent and it, it takes the blood of Jesus, but my conscience is eating me up. You know, the great part that's very difficult for our believers is taking ownership of what we've done wrong. Oh, now I'm doing good now. I'm just telling you, I'm not getting any amens, but I know, I really know I'm doing all right because I'm preaching to myself. Until you take ownership of something that you've done wrong, I, I confess, I, I, I I, I, I'm wrong. I, I confessed. I made it right. And then I, I found my, t- my time with the Lord just in agonizing moments. Lord, how? After 40 years in this community serving, how can I find myself in this situation? And the scriptures begin to roll. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon me because I care for you. If we walk in the light as he is in light, we have fellowship one with the other. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 
And through the process of the word of God and it being a lamp unto my feet and a light to my pathway, I felt the tug of the Holy Spirit. And I began to sing that song, Draw me near, Lord, near to the cross of Calvary, where I met you, Lord, where I first saw the light. And I saw the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from all unrighteousness, and you shed it for my sins. Paul says these words after being guilty of killing people, murdering people, putting men and women, leaving their children behind and locking them in prison. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1, Paul, looking earnestly at the council and said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. How could a man who's been guilty of murder, how could a guy who's put Christian people in prison, how could a guy who's nailed the door shut on church after church after church say this? Verse 2 says, And a high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. These were the religious people that heard Paul say that. Slap him. Would you slap him? He's not telling the truth. Slap him. And the spirit of slap moved through the religious group. Then Paul says, God will strike you whitewashed wall. For you set to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? What Paul is saying is this. I have lived with a blood-washed conscience. Is there anybody here this morning besides your pastor that's living with a blood-washed conscience? Acts chapter 8 tells us of, of all, pers- Paul persecuting the church, having believers put to death. He was known for dragging men and women from the church, putting them in prison. But in, in chapter 9, as Saul continues to murder and breathe threats against his disciples, he has that encounter with the Lord. I've had this question asked more than once. Pastor, you know how wicked Joe is. You know how all these bad things he's done. And, and you know... Hey, do you think there's a, a chance or a hope for them? And I always re- I try to respond this way. If there's hope for me, there's hope for anyone. You see, I'm just one step from the gutter. We're the alcoholic. We're the downcast and the trodden are walking today. But Jesus and the spirit of love rescued me from the pit of sin and from the miry clay, the gutter that carries nothing but sin and shame. And he put me on the highway of holiness. Not because I deserved it. Not because I didn't grab some fig leaves and try to cover up what I had done wrong. But just admitting, Lord, I'm naked and unashamed today. I'm naked and unashamed tonight, Lord. But if Saul can do it, so can I. I even entertain the fact that, you know, we've got shift work that goes on in church here like most churches do. When the 75 comes one Sunday, I think, boy, if that, that shift comes back next Sunday, we'll have 150. And, and they come back in the next Sunday or two, but the other shift is not here. And the enemy plays this against leadership. It's all your fault. I heard Robert Morris in one of the conferences that we attended not many months ago speak these words. 
He said, I have a little problem of exaggerating. You know, we all have fig leaf to cover over the word L-I-E. Exaggeration, stressing the truth, uh, misrepresenting. I heard Robert Moore say this. He said, I, I would get in the pulpit and I would say dozens came to the Lord on the, uh, last Sunday and, and found Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And he said, I'd go home and I'd say, how did I do this morning, hon? And his wife would say, I think you exaggerated a little. She said, I counted three people that came forward. And he said, well, that's a far cry from dozens, isn't it? And he said, then one day I asked my wife, would you make me accountable? And the things that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing, would you help me with? At that moment, I realized that the Lord wants us all to be accountable. We're all accountable to him. And, and, but I can tell you something. We all have a conscience in the enemy. You can, be, you can be saved. You can be filled with the Spirit. You can even have the gift of prophecy or the interpretation of tongues. And yet the enemy can use your conscience to lead you astray. And he tells people this. There's no room for you in that church. Everybody knows what you've done. How could you think that those people would accept you when you've traveled the pathway you've traveled? But we look back in the Old Testament, and Joshua one day said, you know, we all have choices to make. If you want to worship the God of the Amorites, you go right ahead. But as far as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And today, today, I, there, there, may be, there may be just one or two, your, your con the enemy's working on your conscience today. The enemy's saying, there's no more room for you. You've lived in a pig pen too long. People can smell you before they're coming. I have books in my library of a gentleman that lives in the foothills of Branson, Missouri. And he came one morning in sectional council and he set his book rack up and he began to see the, the, the signs on the door and he began to look at what was going on and, and then he opened his life and he said, Pastor, do you have a few minutes? He said, God has blessed me. I've written uh, over a dozen books and, and I'm trying to help the ministry. But he said, at a discouraging moment, I let my conscience take me out of action. And for two years, my wife and I sat on a bar stool in a certain town in Colorado, Sunday after Sunday evening after Sunday evening, listening to the enemy. There's no room for you at all in the kingdom of God. But one day, in the garden, God shows up. And he said, what are you doing here? And he lended us a helping hand, and we're back in the ministry. No condemnation. Listen to me. I, I want to tell you something for sure. The enemy knows how to condemn you and everything you're doing, and he doesn't do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. He does it through your conscience because your conscience didn't get saved when your spirit was born again. You received a brand new spirit on the inside of this body. This body is, is always exposed to the elements of this earth. This body takes on diseases. This body takes on uh, certain things that are going on. This body takes on many things of what it sees. And, and, and many times this body begins to act like the world acts. 
And we know that we're only here because of the blood of Jesus. And, but the enemy will approach you through your conscience. And I've noticed this in the journey of life. In 77 years of being so blessed with good health and strength and, and 50 plus years in the ministry, I've noticed this one thing. And the enemy always knows when the prime time is to hit us. He likes to catch us when we're tired, when we're discouraged. Or maybe sometimes it's a high in our life when, boy, it just seems like you've knocked it out of the ballpark and you let down your guard and all at once the enemy, as a roaring lion, begins to breathe his roaring, smelly breath on you. And it is so, it is so inviting with nothing but destruction. At a time when Saul was out doing what his life had called him to be, Acts chapter 6 tells us what happened to his life. He accepted the Lord, principalities, powers of darkness, the spirit of destruction was washed away by the blood of Jesus. But I can tell you something today, and I want you to hear me loud and clear. We're walking in a battlefield today, and the battlefield is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. But God has given you and I the ability to cast down imaginations, everything that exalts itself against the plan of God, and you have the responsibility of bringing those thoughts into subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God could have created us any way he could have he could have created us in very very different ways he could created us so that we were robots but he didn't he wanted man to have a free will he wanted a man to have the ability to make some choices in life and so he created us the way he did if we don't apply the word of god today to our lives satan will tempt us to walk away from our relationships First of all, with the Lord. And as he draws you away from the presence of the Lord, then he can sell you on things that you said you'd never do. And you'll do things you never thought you would ever do. It's little by little by little the enemy just begins to lead you. And Jared said it very plainly just, what, just a few Sundays ago. The more you miss church the less you miss church. The more you miss prayer time and devotion time, the less you'll miss prayer time and devotion. You say, Pastor, how can you say those things? You're looking at somebody that's been through the experience. You're looking at somebody that can get so caught up in, in hospital calls and funerals and, and operations and then the challenges that come our way, the people that call here on a daily basis, is there any way you can help me with my bills today? Is there any way you can, you can help us with this situation this year? Is there any way you can just help us? Help, help, help! And you can let the mechanics of the ministry steal your time of prayer, your quietness of allowing the Word of God to be digested. 
in your spirit so you can be strong in the Lord. I didn't intend to wake up three people. It worked. It's a high time. Lord, just help me remember that. Yeah, yeah. I close this morning with this. God's never going to turn his back on you. He's never going to give up on you. So why don't you just make a decision today, Lord? You love me just like I was, and here I am. And you always take nobodies and wash them through the blood of Jesus, and then you make it somebodies. It's, it's, such, it's such a time. I, I, I've, I've had a rough time in life being on the receiving end. I, boy, I, I like to highlight on the fact that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I, I, I'll just tell you, I'm a sinner when it comes to receiving. I just, I know you're supposed to have a joyful heart. I know you're supposed to, I know you're supposed to be very proud. I know you, I know you're supposed to say, yeah, "Isn't that great?" I just have a hard time with receiving because it's more blessed to give than to receive. But I was reading some real food that I got indigestion over when I got down to the heart of what it said, and it said this. People that find it hard to receive have a problem. And this is a problem. Boy, I can hardly wait to read the next. It's because they lose control. I thought, what's the next page say? I've had all of that I can handle. Well, listen to me. I sat down in Diffie Ford a few days ago. And I'd had a friend that had become a top salesman there. In fact, I, Doc Evans had allowed Sherry and I to go to the jail on Sunday morning and pick up this gentleman along with Todd. And, and he had went to work for Diffie without exposing where he had been and what he had done. And he rose to the top, and when he became a top salesman, the Diffie family called him in one day after doing some research on his past, and they said, Call him by name. He sits right here every time he visits our church, and he visits on occasion. He said, you didn't tell us you were a felon. You didn't, you didn't tell us all of this before we hired you. Why, why did you not expose where you'd been and what you'd done? And he said, without stuttering, he said these words, because you would never have given me a chance to prove myself had I told you where I'd been. Every time I would stop as he rose through the ranks of salesmen, he'd make sure that I went to a gentleman's de- uh, office by the name of Court Diffie. And he would say, Court, my pastor's here today. I just wanted to let you say hi to him. He just came by for a cup of coffee. He's passing through. And Court would always stand and shake hands and say, Pastor, glad to have you. He graced the office a few days ago when I was in there uh, to finish the business that the church had taken care of. And he said, uh, Orville, I'm so glad that you haven't forgotten us. I see you, you, you bought several vehicles here, and it's so glad that we're, we're glad for the follow-up business, and we just want to say thank you. And I was so privileged to say, Court, this is the first time I'm driving a vehicle out of here that didn't have a lien on it. And it's because of 40 years of pastoral duties to a church. And this is their gift to me. 
for 40 years. Anyway, isn't that awesome? Listen to me this morning. I don't care who you are or how you spell your name. God knows where you're at. And you're you're leaving a testimony, and you're giving a testimony. May it be in the years to come when I am gone that your pastor can take a testimony like this everywhere he goes because we're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. And then the word of our testimony. You're a testimony. You've blessed Jerry and I. You've loved on us in difficult times when our conscience was throw in the towel. People are leaving the church because of you. We've, we've done our best to stay steadfast, unmovable, and always allowing the blood of Jesus to flow through us. And with these words, I ask you to bow your head in prayer. Lord, if there are those, if our Lord, if there's just one here this morning and, and they're hiding behind fig leaves, Lord, they listened to a conscience that became negative, and the enemy caught them off guard and has set a trap for them. And he's told them it's over. Lord, don't let it all be over in their lives. Don't even let them buy that lie from the enemy. But let them realize this morning that it's not all over until you call us home. Even in the sunset hours of our life, It's never over until we draw our last breath. So here we are today, Lord. As the Apostle Paul finishes up his life, Lord, he says, I fought a good fight. I've stayed on course and I've kept the faith. If there's anybody here this morning that's been caught in the area, Maybe it's just been hard to take ownership of a wrong. Maybe it's just been hard to say, I'm sorry, I I should never have said that. I'm sorry, I never should have done that. Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, give them strength today to do what you've called them to do. And when we leave here today, may we all say it's been good to be in your house. Thank you for meeting us this morning. Thank you for allowing us to reflect upon the words that you have spoken and the words that you've given us to speak. Because your word is filled with your spirit and it's filled with the life of abundance. It gives us the want to to keep on going, even when the going gets tough. For all these things, we give all the praise to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, would you stand today?